This is the beginning point. This is the beginning of the rest of my life. I got the meaning, and I got to write it down, because I don't want to forget it. Just win, baby. And welcome back to the Gold Jacket Podcast with me, your host as always, Gymnastic. And with me as always is my co-host, Connor Donald. Connor, man, how you been? I am great. That was the smoothest transition ever, except oh. that you're frozen on my screen. So, I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> I thought but I liked no. in the beginning. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all, we're all good, though. No, I'm good, man. Oh. I'm, I'm pumped for this episode. Got my first vaccine today. So, you know, things are good, feeling good. So, um, but we got an awesome guest tonight. Speaking of vaccines, it's, it's going to be all about medical stuff today we're going to talk about all those players coming back from injuries after the weird covid season and we are bringing on from the fantasy points crew their medical analyst edwin porras edwin how are you doing Excited. oh you myself there sorry yeah i'm doing well man I'm, I'm i'm glad to be back with you guys i'm, I'm excited to discuss some of these uh injury situations and Ready to get out of the grind of this residency I'm currently in. You know, it's it's a nice break, so I'm ready for it. Yeah, can, congratulations on getting that done. And and I know originally I asked last week for you to come on, and you had an anniversary, so you've been a busy man. Hopefully that went really well. I know it's hard to pass us up, but I'm sure it was well. Yeah, worth I it. had to. Yeah, I had to say. You know, I I really love you guys, and you mean a lot to me. And it was a close second, but I had to choose my wife on that day so i really hope you're not offended by that you know don't cancel me i'm i, I had to choose my wife no it's all Rightfully good man so. we, exactly we will never we will we will take being canceled any time over that trust me um but let's let's dig right into it because i put together this massive show sheet and i promise to try and shrink it up for you so um let, let's start with I kind of want to start with just some basic questions about just surrounding injuries and stuff in the in the NFL. And I promise we won't bring up the word injury prone. I know how much that offends you. So we will just avoid that. Um, you did a nice two-parter on that, actually. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> but my, my first question is, for fantasy purposes, when do you call a player an injury liability versus when do you consider purely just bad luck? You know, that's a good question, man. I think that it's it really comes down to the individual. You can't just blanketly say, oh, this person's injury prone, this person isn't. But you can look at two basic rules, and I won't get long-winded here. Okay, you have to choose between a player who, for example, um, has missed, has had really obscure injuries. You have to look at that player, look at their obscure injuries, and say, was this fluky or was this not? Well, how do you do it? Okay, James Conner coming out of college. He tore his MCL and needed surgery. That's less than 5% of players in the, in, in, in the NCAA uh, tear their ACL and need MCL surgery. I'm sorry, I said ACL. Need MCL surgery, okay? So that's the first thing. Look at their fluky injuries. Then he comes into the league, has a high ankle sprain. That's a connective tissue injury. Okay, now he's on your list. He's missed games in college. 
He's missed games in the pros. Coming into his third year, you have to be skeptical of him. And then sure enough, in 2019, he had an AC joint separation. Then he had, um, I think it was like a contusion of his thigh. Lo and behold, he had a, another ankle sprain in 2020. So that's the type of player that you have to track. And it's not always black and white. But you do have to look at the short answer here is look at how many games they missed in college. Did they miss more than seven games or did they miss less than seven games, fewer than seven games? Because the seven game sort of average is what you're looking at for a rookie coming in. Um, and then there's obviously a ton of context to apply. But when it comes to rookies coming in, for example, did they miss more or less than seven games? Because seven games is sort of the cap, according to the literature. That's I love that answer. That's I a really like good that. answer. I like I'll that. I'll want to reference that later on. Uh, the guy that we're going to talk about near the end of that show sheet. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about players here. So Connor, if you want to ask the the uh, general questions, that's cool, man. Because like I want to get into players. I want to get into. Really, there's two big guys I really want to get into a quarterback, and there is a running back that I want to talk about. Absolutely. I'll, I'll wrap these ones up as quick as I can. Then, I, What injuries do you find are the most debilitating to a player's fantasy value? What should you be looking out for if they're coming out of college and they've had this injury before and you should be more skeptical of that player or even if they do it in their rookie season? You know, you really bring something up that uh... – makes me hesitate um i'm i'm a little nervous every time i see somebody fade a player because quote i was burned by him that's if there was a, a way that i could say not to do it if i were to say is there a, how is there is there a wrong way to view injuries it would be fading players based on emotions chris carson comes to mind right everybody's always talking about chris carson's injuries chris carson has has played a, a large majority of his games Right up until last year, I think that he had played a pretty big chunk. I, I and he just happened to have missed games when you needed him. Right, Keenan Allen is the same thing. Keenan Allen, like last year, did a kidney torn ACL, did all kinds of crazy stuff early in his career. Now he's fine. So you have to look at these players from a perspective of an objective criteria. And what struck me to say that was because you said, you know, what do you feel um, is is a, a, a catastrophic injury, not a catastrophic injury? To me, I always like to tell people that I don't have feelings. I do my best to totally remove my feelings from my analysis because I try to go based on what the literature shows, what the research shows, the numbers show. Injury Injuries are so gray that you have to do that. And so first of all, cut out feelings, right? So according to the literature specifically, you have to go by Achilles, right? Ruptures, bad injuries. Marlon Mack comes to mind. He's probably not going to be fantasy relevant the rest of his career. He has low draft capital. He is just not as talented as the guys in, in the backfield with him. It's just not happening for Marlon Mack anymore. You lose a lot of explosiveness, right? So that's the first one is the Achilles tendon. The second one is a massive ACL. That includes MCL, PCL, meniscus potentially. For players who are skilled position players and need to be explosive, right? Rashad Penny comes to mind. He had a pretty good draft capital, obviously, but he had such a massive tear that at this point, He's going to, he's losing front office confidence. He's 24 years old at this point. So you big, big ACL tears for, for skill positions that aren't quarterbacks. That's the second one. You know, a, another tendon tear is, is the quad tendon or the quad ligament, the, the ligament that attaches at your kneecap down to your lower leg bone, the tibia. 
that tendon is also one that you totally need to watch out for. And then of course, concussions, because concussions are super volatile. You can have somebody like Brandon cooks, who's had four or five documented concussions in the last, you know, several years and is still in the league. Or you can have somebody like, uh, Jordan Reed who had so many concussions over such a long extended period of time. He just, he couldn't, he didn't clear a concussion protocol, you know, after a year, his baseline was just never the same. So those are, if I had to give like a handful, a slew of injuries that I'm concerned about, those are the ones. Yeah. I, I really like that answer because that's a big one. Concussions often we, we don't think of all that much, but like a guy like Jordan Reed had his career completely destroyed because of that. And like, I know from just like, as a hockey fan too, like those concussions are huge. Like as a Flyers fan, Nolan Patrick, he went through c- concussion after concussion, and then he had entered into this time of this mi- these major migraine issues and stuff. So we often forget about those ones and think about the tears and stuff, but concussions are definitely a big one too. I, I like that. Um, Did you name Philadelphia Flyers concussions and not name Eric Lindros? <laughs> that's the guy you didn't name <laughs> that is not the guy i named but he is a good he's a great example of, of major issues as well with concussions oh, yeah. he had the conky fucking syndrome <laughs> <laughs> um the final final general question i have and i'm actually gonna pair a guy into this because he's got like this is a guy that me and Jim talk about all the time because he never gets the injury discount. And we are now adding a 17th game and he's still not getting an injury discount. Um, so for me, we're now moving to a 17 game season. I think it's going to have a greater effect than people think on how teams roll out more generally running back. This is the position, the more volatile position that I'm thinking of for the 17-game schedule. How much do you think a 17-game schedule will play into injuries, and how much more do you think teams have to actually focus on like the running back, the more beat-up position, the running backs, maybe the linebackers, the defensive line, offensive line? Um, and one guy that comes to mind mainly for me here is Dalvin Cook. Yeah, okay. This is a great question. So the way there's probably a correct answer, there's an objectively correct answer to say injuries will likely be effective at X amount, because what you're doing is you're increasing the athlete exposures. Athlete exposures is how you track exactly what it sounds like, how often athletes are exposed. Every exposure or athlete exposure per game is leads to a certain number, right? If you have a, a you know, 11 man roster, two teams play each other, that's X amount of athlete exposures. Every injury under the sun, that you can think of because of that 17th game will inherently increase the statistics for more injuries. Now predicting which injuries those are going to be couldn't tell you how teams manage it. Couldn't tell you. But what I can say is that week adding a week at the tail end obviously won't make a big difference leading up to week 17. But if you think by week 17, NFL teams are beat up at the end of week 18, it's going to be, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be, more than likely something, you know, where you're, you're getting starters that might sit week 17 and 18, you're getting starters who maybe are out for week 18 that you're anticipating weren't going to be out. Like the tail that we don't know how teams are going to manage this yet. But again, the, to going back to the original question, the answer is injuries are going to go up. There's no way around it. Uh, but we, we also don't know how teams are going to manage it yet. So the tail end of seasons are just going to get dicier and dicier. I would not move away from if, if this is my opinion now, I would not move away from a traditional playoff of what is it usually typically like between week 14 and 16, 
for like mm -hmm. traditional leagues, I would not move away from that because any once you get beyond week 17 and 18, it's it, it, it might be a bloodbath. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that I've talked to that are thinking about doing two-week playoffs, 16, 17, and even that gets really dicey because week 16, you might have a generally good matchup. Week 17, you might be sitting there looking at your bench and saying, holy shit, I got a tough decision. Do I start my starters or do I just roll out a complete bench squad? Week 17, KJ Hamler. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. That's a good example of why you look there at your wide receiver seven or eight and be like, "Huh, maybe <laughs> this guy isn't as bad as I thought he was earlier in the season." But I agree with you, Edwin. Like, we don't know how it's going to be handled. Are we going to see like a? Uh, I hate to say it because I hate it in the NBA beyond anything. Load management. Um, are we going to see this type of thing come up with like the running backs with the more beat up positions with the more injury liabilities like a guy who's constantly getting hurt or constantly on an injury report like there's a lot of guys like who people call injury prone but they just show up on injury reports all the time because they're beat to shit you know and you did ask, and you did ask about dalvin cook one a, a great example for this specific question is dalvin cook because when mm -hmm. it comes to athlete exposures like yeah you worry about strains yes you worry about um you know rolling your ankle generally benign injuries but when it comes to athlete exposures, uh, we know that, for example, shoulder dislocations increase with athlete exposures. Uh, concussions will increase with athlete exposures. Dalvin Cook made it through the 2020 season without completely dislocating his shoulder, which is great news. Going into the 2020 season, I was super down on Dalvin Cook from a relative perspective because the data just objectively shows this, there's, this, this thing's got like a 40% chance of re-dislocating and him missing time again. I, in, in retrospect, maybe shouldn't have faded as hard, but the right process, the right move was to fade Dalvin Cook behind Kamara, CMC, and Barkley. That was the right move. I still think to a certain extent it is the right move. He is a year removed. He hasn't had a dislocation that we know of. I saw what I thought was a subluxation, which means I think his shoulder went in and out. I don't remember what week it was, but I remember rewinding it on TV, watching it. He sort of landed on his forearm this way. He stood up. He was shaking it out, which is super common, those subluxations. So when it comes to players like Dalvin Cook and running back specifically, those contact injuries with that extra game at the end of the year are going to add up. They can add up. They can lead to, I don't want to say catastrophic, but, you know, for fantasy, definitely, if you know they're catastrophic injuries, um, so that's that's what I think about is as athletes like that, exposures like that are going to increase contact type injuries for sure. And I like that you brought that point up because I think the more these guys play through it later on, I think there is more of an opportunity that there is that catastrophic injury week sixteen or week 17 when they're just trying to play through these injuries, and that could mean if it's catastrophic catastrophic enough that they don't play or they're not ready for the start of the next league year and stuff. And that's even more concerning for me. So I, I like the point that you brought up there uh, for sure. Now, Jim, I, I, I've had, I've had my fun. I had those three questions I really wanted to ask. So I'll let you kick off the first quarterback that you want to talk about. Well, I'm not going to go in the order there. I'm going right down to the bottom. I'm going with my guy. Uh, he's got a lot of shit. Been shit on a little bit about his performance last year. I didn't think he was even supposed to play. Uh, what really wasn't supposed to play? That's to a tongue of a low, man. I want to know uh, how do you think that hip injury affected him last season? Do you think there's any real concerns about him going forward this season? 
like I personally don't really have concerns about him, but I'd like to feel comforted by a medical medical opinion by this. <laughs> so my buddy, another physical therapist, Jeff Mueller on Twitter, had was the first to say this a while back, and he mentioned how he thinks that uh, Tua was limited by his hip mobility in 2020. I haven't dug into the film the way he has, but I tend to agree because if you want to talk, go back and talk about tiers of catastrophic injuries, what happened to Tua was pretty darn near in this close to the first tier of catastrophic injuries. It's a bad injury. He dislocated and fractured his hip. The entire joint came out of its socket. They had to go in there, reconstruct it, put it back in, fix it up. That is something that's going to help not, not, it's going to hurt a mobile quarterback, right? And so until he's out at the speed of the NFL, testing the hip, using the hip, uh, you know, it, it could affect his internal and external rotation of the hip when he's throwing the ball, his mobility, how quick he is, how confident he is on the hip. And, and he's used, he wasn't bad. Tua got a lot of crap, like you said, but Tua came in as a rookie and did average. And how common is that, right? Like how high is the bar these days in today's NFL? for a rookie quarterback to step in, be average, and then get shit on, like you were saying. How common is it? Like, the, the bar has to be outrageous. Like, ten even even 10 years ago, thinking about a rookie coming in and starting, the, the bar was so low, there was nowhere but up. And, some, and most of the time, they still didn't even meet that bar. So another year under his belt, another year of confidence in that hip. The remodeling phase is over in that hip. It's totally healed. At this point, I think that he's probably working on any hip deficiency he might have. I would assume so. If I'm not out on Tua, I won't say I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be the year where Tua shows, you know, everybody wrong, you know, proves everything wrong. But if there's gonna if, if it's gonna happen for Tua, it's it's gonna happen this year. And the hip shouldn't be something that limits him. The hip shouldn't be the reason why anybody fades Tua. So I also had a, a thing there with Tua last year. I had a bit of a theory. I thought that the Miami Dolphins uh, bye week readjustment where they got put their bye week got pushed back, like pushed early on in the season. I think that had a little bit of effect on him. Like I always thought their plan in the season was because I think their original bye week was like week 12. I always thought his original plan was to come in week like 13 or week 14, whatever it was after that bye week. They get the bye week. He gets the week of practice going up to the bye week, the full bye week, and then he locks in as a starter. Because he he walked in, I think it was week seven, week eight. It was after their bye week, but their bye week got pushed forward in the season. I wondered if that had anything to do, um, and maybe he wasn't a hundred percent ready either, right? Like, no, yeah, I don't. I, don't I definitely don't think that he was a hundred percent once he started. Um, the plan for him all along was going to be to bring him in later in the season. I remember I tweeted something about it. But yeah, the, the plan for Tua, because he was less than a year when he started. It was less than a year since the injury, which is incredible to think about, right? But he's nowhere near where he could be with extra work that he's put in this year. So yeah, the, the plan for him was was never to come in earlier. It was always going to be to come in later. Love it. So on from Tua, let's let's talk about another uh, another big name rookie rookie QB there. It was a, a big discussion on one one, right? Was it going to be one 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 going Joe Burrow, one one going to be Tua? So both of them, you know, either had a significant injury that they're working off of in the coming into the season, or suffered a major injury because of that horrific offensive line. Um, reports are he's supposed to be good for Week One. I'm not really 100 percent confident in that. Um, what do you think? Uh, do, you, do you think that timeline fits a traditional ACL tear? The reports are one thing. 
his progress in the tissue healing or another. Objectively speaking, the fastest that Joe Burrow could come back or any athlete could come back from this injury, objectively speaking, is nine months in all reality. He had a piece partial PCL rupture, at least partial, MCL, meniscus tear, ACL. And I would not be surprised if he had a patellar fracture as well. The minimal timeline for that, for an injury like that, is nine months. So we're sitting here. He he had uh, surgery in December. So we're sitting here January, right, would be month one, and then to September, month nine. The NFL season starts, I think, the second week, third week of September. And the bare minimum time frame that any surgeon or physical therapist would recommend an athlete come back is nine months after something like that. Now you also have to meet other criteria, which is what I want to talk about what he said today. Today he came out and he said he's about quote 80%. I think he let us in on a little secret that we would love to know more about, but my assumption is he might be, because there's no way he's 80% timeline wise, the 80%. He's like, if that's the case, he's like 65% if we're doing just pure timeline, but there are also criteria he has to meet. The criteria that he has to meet are at least at least most surgeons, at least 90% of a single leg hop test, which means he can literally, what it sounds like, he can hop a distance that's at least 90% of his other leg and at least a uh, 90% strength rating with an isokinetic machine. Those are the criteria where the surgeon will say, okay, cool. Now you can do basically anything you want. And at that point, that's when Burrow would, would be good to go, right? So they're also talking about how the preseason, they're still not, they're still on the fence about the preseason. They don't know if they want to put them out there in the preseason. Well, if they're going to put them out there now, it's going to be, it's usually week three, right? Where it's the, the dress rehearsal. So it'll be week two now. So week two, what makes you think that between week two, of the preseason and week one of the NFL, that he's going to make this massive jump where, oh, he's not ready to be even in a preseason game to, okay, now he's going to go start week one full bore. He's ready to go. What I'm trying to say with all this is that if you add it up logically with what we know and the information we have available to us, the timelines where we think he is because of the functional criteria he might have just given us, it just doesn't add up that it's a slam dunk that he's going to be ready for week one. But of course, the thing is, I, everybody gets obsessed with like, oh, he's saying this, he's saying this, he's saying this. How many times ever have you heard an athlete say, you know what? I just am not 100%. I don't feel like I'll be ready for week one and I'm going to let the trainers and the medical staff make that decision when during the season in the off season, when has that ever happened? So even though there is some, like you, you have to believe him to a certain extent, people in the media put way too much stock into what players say about their own health. I want to see his single leg hop test and I want to see his, um, his strength, his isokinetic strength testing. And I want to see him out there. He was in a big bulky brace today. And I'm not trying to talk negatively or say that he won't be ready for week one because there's still a chance, right? You're saying there's a chance, right? But he was sick. He looked today. He looked like a guy who's six months post ACL surgery, big bulky brace, not doing anything too crazy yet. He's just, people are obsessed with Burrow coming back and I hope he comes back, but I think we're just putting way too much stock into this and you got me really fired up. So I'm going to stop talking. No, that, that, that definitely makes sense, though. Like, I mean, as a fantasy owner, you should not want to push him back behind that offensive line with a even 90% okay ACL and leg. Like, I would not risk that at all because then you could just be creating more risk by putting him out there and it could start something, you know. It could start something in his knee. 
and we could have issues for the rest of the year and he never gets to 100% because of this or overcompensation. I don't know if it's really a thing, but it's talked about as if it's a thing that your one leg might overcompensate or one part of a leg will overcompensate. You're just putting him, you're just, if, if, I'm not saying this is going to happen. If you put him out there before he's ready, before he's met the criteria and before he's met the minimum bare timelines, as a medical staff, you are setting him up for failure. And that's, and again, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that they're doing that. I'm not saying they're going to do that. But that, like my opinion is that if you do that before, if you send any athlete out before they're ready, you are doing them a disservice and you are setting them up for failure. But you know that, you know, as good as anybody else that in the NFL, there's team, the coaches, the the money, the owners, there's a lot of pressure and whether people want to admit it or not, that's why you see a guy appear on 10 injury reports in a season and then comes out and says, yeah, I had this injury, this injury, this injury. I, I could barely walk through the week. I didn't participate in practices. Like, you know as good as anybody that, that this sport is all about getting out there, getting that paycheck and and do helping your team win. Like a lot of these guys are, oh, it's about helping the team win. But I have to believe that there's some pressure internally from coaches saying, was well, he there? Was well, about 80 percent? How about we call it 90 percent and just trying to push him a little more ahead than he should be? And especially in this situation, if you had have built this mammoth offensive line in front of him and could say he might get, you know, he might get hit once a game. Okay, I'd be okay with throwing him out there in week one. But me as a Joe Burrow fantasy owner, I'd take the extra couple weeks if it meant that I get this guy for the rest of the season, not get him for week one. Then he appears on every injury report for the rest of the year because we don't know what's going on. He might have he might have a sprain. He might have issues. His knee's not 100%. He's not going to be there. I, for me, I'd just rather wait. But we know this, this sport's a business, and it is a – I'm going to call it a very bloody business because it is for, for the players, for the owners, for the managers, for the coaches. Absolutely. And I love, like I said, I love that you're not sugarcoating it. I love that you're just, you know, you're given like the straight medical facts on like how it should be. We don't really know a lot of stuff, but like, yeah, as a fantasy owner, do I want him out week one? Fucking right. I do. I want him out week one. He's a quarterback that like he's going to produce. He was taking one-on-one in drafts. Of course I want that as the owner of the Bengals. Would I want him out week one? I don't know, man. Like it's a it's a franchise deal here. I'm not I'm not trying to just play you know 2021 and beyond or 2021. That's it. Like so, this, he's supposed to be a face of a franchise, right? You had him sitting in the in the Tiger King throne, uh, doing doing the pictures and shit, right? Like you want him right face your franchise for ten years, right? So like I'm not sure if I would really have him out there week one as the and that's what, organization. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm trying to say too is I'm not saying he can't be back week one what i'm saying is it is not a slam dunk by any means and that's the point that i'm trying to hammer home don't hang your hat on it because it's not a slam dunk definitely i i agree with that we'll we'll move on to the net the final qb we have on the list this one is not a rookie um but this one had a I think I would call it catastrophic. I would call it brutal. I would call it just about any name in the book for this injury because that was disgusting to watch. And when they slowed it down, it was even more <laughs> nauseating to watch. So yeah, was gross. this is Dak Prescott, obviously, that we're talking about, if you haven't gotten the hint. Um, what do you think the effects of this injury are short-term 
long term? Should we be at all concerned? And is the t- for this injury, does the timeline fit? He's going to be what we're bordering on a whole 12 months removed from the injury by the time he gets to step foot on the field in week one. Has he taken the proper amount of time and protocol to get to this return? Yeah. So I'd have to double check my numbers and the research that I've seen, because this is such a rare injury for quarterbacks specifically, but he should be on. I think if I'm, if I'm thinking correctly, I think this is about a six to seven month timeline for an injury like this. So it was pretty catastrophic, but once you put it back in place, once you let the bones heal, once you get everything up to speed and caught up, the tissue damage is reduced and you get back to functional training, then it's a pretty I don't want to say straightforward, but it is. It's a straightforward injury. You you put the joint back in place, you let the bones heal, you, you're back full force. Maybe this shaves a year off of his career. Maybe this shaves, you know, maybe he gets early onset arthritis in that ankle, you know, at the age of 40. Who knows? We don't know. That's what the long-term implications are. In the short term, I'm a little nervous for his rushing ceiling just because the psychological impacts are something we don't talk about a lot because they're difficult to grasp, but there's definitely something to wearing a brace after an ACL tear. The brace isn't going to protect you from another ACL tear, right? It's wearing a an elbow brace because you got a bruise. Chances are that elbow brace isn't going to help you, you know, prevent another bruise. So what I'm saying here is the psychological impacts are something we can't really quantify. I'm just nervous that he'll be scared to run more than not. But the upside, because we can end on a positive note, a positive note with quarterbacks, he is so good, so damn good at running the ball. And just the idea of Dak running will still scare defenses, even if his rushing attempts are down. So he's so good that I, it's really hard for me to fade him unless you're doing something like, unless you're in like a super high stakes league or something like that. But even then, I am, I'm going to have a hard time fading Dak at the quarterback position this year. I agree. Like I couldn't agree more with that point because he was on pace to throw for like, I'm pretty sure it was NFL record numbers. Like it was astronomical. So even if he pulls that ball down and just decides to throw it versus running the ball, I mean, the numbers are going to far away. Some of these other guys that you're going to look at. If you look at a Derek Carr, if you look no offense because we love Tua here, but look at a Tua, like people like that, he can, he can blow though their yardage out of the water yard rushing and passing easy. So Dak is like, I mean, look at, look at the weapons at the end of the day, you got, you got CD lamb, you got Amari Cooper, you got Michael Gallup, you got Blake Jarwin, you got Zeke Elliott, you got Tony Pollard. This man doesn't even have to run the ball, but I remember, I think you were on with Justin Boone a while back and I listened to that podcast and you brought up the psychological effects. And I thought the same thing because I thought, I think at the time, I don't know if you were talking about Burrow or if you were talking about Dak, but you did bring up that we need to consider the psychological effects and that it's not just about necessarily the injury at hand. Like it could be the person easily heals, but kind of like we saw with two of this year, there's a hesitancy to do certain things because of that. And it's a lot that's more in the brain or in your head versus the actual injury at hand. I'm nervous a little bit just because of that rushing, right? Like you're built in with Dak, like you're guaranteed six rushing touchdowns a year. Like that's like, that was like built in with him. That was something that was great. Like, yeah, he upped his, he upped his passing. That's awesome. 
But like six point rushing touchdowns in fantasy are huge, especially when it's only four point passing touchdowns. Um, I'm going to ask a real quick question on him. Uh, where do you think he's going to finish ranked in uh, fantasy points for for the quarterbacks? That's tough, right? So obviously Mahomes, probably because of the rushing Lamar Jackson. If Josh Allen can keep up that pace, there's three. Who am I missing, guys? Help me out here. Um, See, I have him at four. I was I thinking him at I four. Think, I, mean, I think four. I have him at four too. I, think I got he, Kyler in instead of Lamar, though. I got, I got. If it. Kyler Patty, takes Patty, a step, Josh Kyler was good Kyler. for fantasy. I don't think Kyler, at least based on my very amateur eye, he was good for fantasy purposes. He's still. I don't think he's proven to be like a great true NFL quarterback. But I, I don't know how much more he's got in terms of the ceiling. But I can hear it. That's like semantics, right? I, I can hey, agree. I don't, think I, he's can a great, agree I don't think he's a great real life quarterback, but like I think he's going to put points on the fucking board. Like that's sure. like, <laughs> that's what I think. With him. If they can, like, if, if if Kingsbury can figure out how to score in the red zone, right? Kingsbury like eight led the league in like, <laughs> like the last two years and freaking field goals. It helps to be able to see over your offensive line to score in the red zone <laughs> too. Like, it's jab, getting it's man. getting a little it's getting a little tougher there. But no, I agree with you, Edwin. Like, how much more of a ceiling is there if the guy doesn't learn to? Like, yeah, we love him because he rushes like crazy. But how much more can you do from the throwing perspective? We don't mm-hmm. want another Lamar Jackson esque situation. But look, don't get me wrong, Kyler Murray throws a ball tenfold better than Lamar Jackson. Like we're not like, I mean, and that may be some Lamar Jackson hate, but <laughs> I, I remember, I remember last season when the coach speak was there, that he's going to work on his passing game. And then we did our AFC North preview. And I said, Lamar Jackson will not be better in the passing game. And he was not better in the passing game. Um, to be fair. They don't throw that much anyway. And he still – he, him and Ryan Tannehill had very similar – path. he was actually better than Tannehill in a lot of advanced statistics. But, Tan- but Tannehill was consistent. You know, you could tra- – like if Tannehill was going to throw the ball, he was reliable to do it. Lamar Jackson, I don't necessarily – I mean, I think that's – I'm going to be honest with you, Connor. I think that's your bias. I think that's your bias because his numbers were better in the advanced – we're getting off topic. But Lamar Jackson's <laughs> numbers were objectively better – when it came to passing uh, accuracy than Ryan Tannehill's in a lot of categories. I, I, I'd i have to pull it up. But. No, no, I, I, I can see that. Don't I can worry see about that I might have a bias. <laughs> I, I, can see that, I can see that I might have a bias there. But, like, I mean, at the end of the day, if he throws a ball more, my question would be, does that accuracy remain? Like, that's the thing. That's the issue that we're having. But now that they've given him weapons, there's no excuses. Let's see. Yeah, Exactly. So if he can, he's got Rashad Bateman, he's got Tylen Wallace, Love he's got Marquise Brown, he's got Mark Andrews. Shit or get off the toilet, right? 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, but let's move into the, the – we'll move into the running backs. And I think the biggest name – well, there's debatably two names, but I think we'll start with the RB1, the clear-cut RB1 for me, and that is Christian McCaffrey. So – he kind of proved he was human in 2020. He had the back-to-back monster workloads, and he suffered his first rash of injuries. Um, high ankle sprain, AC joint sprain, thigh injury. Do you have any concerns about CMC moving forward, and could any of these injuries linger into 2021? No. Next question. <laughs> Draft Christian McCaffrey. Ooh. Draft Christian McCaffrey oh. as your RB1. Draft Christian McCaffrey as your RB five or six in Superflex <laughs> leagues. 
draft Christian McCaffrey and laugh all the way to the bank. The the injuries he had were not relevant. They weren't, they're not going to follow him. He got hurt with a high ankle sprain, which are common in running backs. He had, a, then he had to work, you know, his way back into the lineup. Then he had an AC joint sprain, AC joint sprain turned into a quad strain, which was expected at the end of the season because his workloads went like this, right? I've talked about workloads over and over again. If uh, any athletes workloads are up and down, they spike too much or they go too low. They're at like a three to six times more higher chance of getting a soft tissue injury, which is what we think McCaffrey had. Don't worry about Christian McCaffrey in 2021. I won't even give any more detail than that. I think I can be short and sweet on that one. Good. I hey, like what it. About you definitely, you definitely spared us some, some time there, but I'm pretty sure every running back we're talking about today actually had high ankle sprains. So yeah, it, that right. shows how common they are. But go ahead, Jim. Well, let's talk about, like you said, it was your clear-cut one-on-one with CMC. My clear-cut one-on-one last year was Saquon Barkley. Um, MetLife Stadium did, did a number to a number of players last year. Barkley was probably the biggest one to go down. Um, you know, that's two seasons where, he, where he's missed some time where it was a high ankle sprain in 2019, then, then the 2020 ACL tear. Um, does that have any correlation, do you think, too, I wanted to ask, like the, the high ankle sprain in 2019 to tearing the ACL in 2020? This is as theoretical as I'll get. I've watched Saquon probably more than I've watched any other running back because I do I am intrigued by him. He stays on his feet a lot. He twists and turns a lot. He fights through a lot of contact. His his leg and ankle twist in directions that are very consistent with the injuries he's had. He's had a high ankle sprain. That's a twist and turn injury. He's had an ACL tear. That's a twist and turn injury. If I'm not mistaken, both of them came when he was trying to fight a defender off of him and he twisted and turned the knee and the ankle. This is totally theoretical. I don't want to cause any alarms, but I do want to actually go back. I actually asked uh, Wes Huber over at Fantasy Points if he had any any films from his original high ankle sprain he had in college. We couldn't find it. I, maybe I'm making this up. Maybe I'm having to convince myself so I should ignore it. But there's something about his running style and his motor patterns and the way that he sheds tackles specifically to him, very specific to him, that make me a little nervous. With that said, period, new paragraph, Saquon Barkley has extremely high draft capital. He's extremely talented. He's an elite athlete at all levels. His best comparison, whether you want to hear it or not, his best athletic comparison is Adrian Peterson. He's 23 years old. He was 23 years old at the time of the injury and the surgery. Do not fade Saquon Barkley because of the ACL injury. Saquon Barkley should be the second running back off of the board because he has less risk involved than even, you know, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook who we sort of already mentioned already. Um, and because the situation in New Orleans is cloudy, he's probably should be taken in front of Alvin Kamara. At least, you know, Barkley is going to get the work. So maybe I, that leads to more questions, but that that's sort of where I stand on Saquon. It actually, you actually do a good job of connecting. We had the footwork king on a few weeks back and he talked about how he teaches his running backs or his receivers to, I think he said it was fall a certain way or, or they do something a certain way so that it didn't cause twists and turns in the ankle and in the leg that causes the injuries that you allude to with Saquon Barkley. So actually, if people go back and listen to that episode, it kind of, you kind of do a good linkage of the of the two of how you should be trained, how to fall a certain way or do something a certain way. And versus Saquon Barkley, who he doesn't fall. Saquon Barkley is a 
fights for yeah. He's a bruiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he fights for everything. And that's why people love him because what helps him stand out over some other running backs is he is a true member of a dying breed. And that is just a super aggressive running back who fights for every damn yard like Najee Harris is going to be. He is not Travis Etienne. Exactly, exactly. Like he, he's just old school, the dying breed because of of all the way the analytics of the game goes. You got to have your receiving back, your first and second down back, all these different types of backs in your system and be prepared. But he can do it all. But he also does it all with a super aggressive fashion, which leads to the injuries that we're seeing right now. Um, Jim, do you have anything more to add to Saquon Barkley? Uh, no, I'm, I'm loving getting them in my drafts where I'm getting them. It's crazy. Uh, like I'm Dalvin cook is going after the second quarter or second running back off the board in almost every draft I'm getting. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. CMC is Dalvin cook. And then sometimes it's JT is the uh, running back three. I get that. And then, um, Saquon's like RB four. Usually it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking that to the bank all day, every day. Saquon at RB four. I love it. Um, we'll move on to the next one. And we, Saquon Barkley is nowhere near as polarizing as the guy that we are about to dig into because people are getting tired of, of hyping him <laughs> up year over year and being disappointed. But Geo the stash is out of the picture. So Mixon suffered a midfoot sprain in 2020 that kept him out for 10 games. We presumably were expecting him back from like literally the fourth week onward and it sounds like they made the right call to just shut him down because then Joe Burrow went and had his injury and that offensive line proved exactly what it was a piece of complete garbage um so there were many points he was rumored to be coming back and but it didn't happen so what do you think the impact of the midfoot sprain is on him can you further discuss the injury a bit um he's projected for a extremely large workload in 2021 um, without Geo and with Puka Williams in the picture now. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the first thing I want to say with Joe Mixon is that we can go back to what I said in the beginning. What you see in college is likely going to predict what you see in the NFL. From 2015 to 2019, Joe Mixon played 69 nice of 74 potential games. He played 93% of the games that he, that he was available in college. So he's also only 25. He's going to be 25 in July. That's pretty young running back. Uh, in 2017, he missed because of two concussions. Um, in 2018, he had a knee scope. And then I think at some point he also had, oh, and then this is the most recent one was the list, Frank, right? All you need to know is that two studies by, uh, let's see, who's Gregory Alden James Robertson, two, two dudes who wrote this article, and another one by Shuckhead basically found that the injury that Mixon suffered do not follow players because it was stable. There was no gross fracture and no gross dislocation. And he should be totally good to go in 2021. If you have workload concerns, fine. If you have offense concerns, fine. If we think that Burrow isn't back by week one and you want to fade him because of that, that's fine. But the bottom line is you should not fade Joe Mixon because of 2020 and the injuries that he's had since 2015. That is music to my ears. That is good. I am a big Joe Mixon believer. I am. Uh, I was a little bit concerned as I've been hyping him up for what four years now, <laughs> and uh, just hasn't. He's always was falling short of my hyped expectations. Right, even if he finishes say RB twelve, he got hyped up to be taken as RB five. Right, he gets 
push down RB12, he finishes like RB16. Like he just, it's very, very, very tricky with him, right? He always got, it seemed like he got to reach with him. I'm sticking it out with him. It seemed like last year, Stick it, out. Uh, it just seemed like they didn't really care at that time. They knew they were going to get a shitty pick. They knew, or yeah. a shitty team. They knew they just get a better draft pick, shut everybody down. Didn't really give a shit, right? Like to save, save your players. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this is the year, you know, people fade them. Fifth year breakout. Absolutely. Oh, RB2. You guys, um, I only have like, you know, let's see, a few more minutes. Do you want to do like a rapid fire through the receivers? That way we can get through them all? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's like three main ones that we'll dive into. And then I know that Jim wants to ask you about one rookie in particular. Okay. Um, so let's start with Kenny Galladay. I know he's made, he suffered from a hamstring strain, hip injury. He got paid. He's going to New York. He's going to take on a massive load there uh, with the New York Giants. What are your thoughts on Kenny Galladay and those injuries uh, last year? I have no idea what injury Kenny Galladay suffered. No other Twitter <laughs> fantasy football doc knows what injury Kenny Galladay suffered. Proceed as, you know, nothing happened. He was in a contract year. The Lions are bad. I think he was protecting his assets. Good for him. Got his money. Got the bag. Hopefully, Daniel Jones can learn how to throw football between now and September. And I have no concerns for Kenny Galladay. At least I have no evidence that I should be concerned. Absolutely love that one. The next one is OBJ. I know he's he's been definitely extremely polarizing. He's had a laundry list of injuries since his three monster seasons as a New York Giant. Um including most recently the ACL tear. Um, do you think that this these injuries are creating a pattern of concern for you, or are you not very worried about him? I think a 29-year-old wide receiver coming off of an ACL injury is – it's hard to be down on OBJ because I've been so – you know, I've been on him for the last couple of years. The injuries have, have piled up, obviously. The groin injury is not a big deal. That one players can come back from, and the literature shows that there's no really step. They don't lose a step. Uh, but at this point, he's 29. We know that the average age of a wide receiver one specifically uh, ends at about 28. I mean, so is it possible? Yes. But he hasn't had a wide receiver one year since I think, you know, the Clinton administration over here in the United States. So <laughs> it's been a while. The ACL doesn't bode well for him. I view him as one of those dudes who's going to be, I think, a solid wide receiver two from a performance standpoint. And he's going to have some spike weeks, like the week that he threw, like, threw a touchdown pass to Jarvis Landry and said his lat was sore and he scored like 40 fantasy points that week. But I, I'm not, I just don't see the upside, the OBJ rookie season upside that he had before. And the ACL doesn't help that. I like that. Um, I, I especially like the absolute burn on him there. Um, I know that we've heard a lot about his work ethic. When we talk to the footwork king, he works with him. He loves the work ethic there. But there's a difference between work ethic and translate into the field. And I think Cleveland is just not the situation for him. But they luckily, I tweeted just the other day, they can get out from under him for zero dead cap at the end of this season. So if they can just suffer through one more season, and figure it out, then he can go on his merry way and the Cleveland divorce can begin just like the Giants divorce. The final one for me, it's debatable between Debo Samuel and Paris Campbell, but I got to ask about Paris Campbell because Paris Campbell's being hyped up. He was hyped up last season. There, He's had this freakishly weird list of injuries. Is this just purely bad luck for Paris Campbell or is there some serious concerns there? there this is seriously bad luck for Paris Campbell. The groin, the, the groin injury, 
the foot fracture, which are common in wide receivers at his age when he had it. And then now the PCL, which is like a weird, like that's weird. You don't typically, the only time you see a PCL injury is when people are in car accidents and their knees hit the, the dashboard and it sort of shifts their tibia backwards. That's really when you see PCL. You, you, Nick Chubb had a PCL injury. You just don't see those. Um, now the PCL injury or surgery might, you know, cap his ceiling to a certain extent. And it really depends what you think Paris Campbell's ceiling is in the first place. But I think he's going to have some spike weeks. And I think that people are sleeping on him. And if you're fading him because of injuries, thank you so much. You will provide my next cup of coffee that I'm going to have next week. I will take Paris Campbell because his ADP, I think, is like dirt cheap right now. Mm -hmm. Massively. Um, Jim, I'll turn it over to you. You have a rookie to ask about specifically. Yeah, absolutely. You've written three awesome pieces about these, uh, about three polarizing rookies recently, uh, Rondell Moore, Terrence Marshall, my personal favorite, Trey Sermon. I uh, just wanted, and I love that Trey Sermon article, by the way. I reread it today. Uh, I appreciate just it. To, Thank you. Just wanted to go over, um, you know, your, your major concerns about Trey Sermon at all. Um, you touched about earlier on the episode, uh, level of collegiate games missed is about seven. You only missed five. I know his, uh, his, his injuries have been horrific in the sense some of them have been kind of freakish. Is there a real connection with these? Um, I, I read your article. I, I know that you think there's, I think, soft tissue, I believe. but connect, Yeah, connective tissue. I can talk about that a little bit. It, yeah. The thing about the injuries is, like you were saying, they, they, <laughs> they seem to be catastrophic, right? Like the, the, the LCL injury he had, that's less common than the PCL injury I just mentioned. The, the smaller boot dislocation, that's not a common injury. As a high school kid, he was a senior. He had a lumbar, like a low back fracture. They're just weird conglomerate injuries, but the common thread is that they're all connective tissue injuries. They're all ligament type of injuries, capsule joint type of injuries. And for a running back, connective tissue is super important. And in the article that you mentioned at fantasypoints.com, I used as a comparison and more so as like a parallel, because I don't think it's the same situation, of James Conner, who had all the same connective tissue in injuries leading up to it. And in theory, theoretically, this is where the context inserts where, like I was mentioning earlier, in the seven game average of, of missed games that, that players suffer, you know, you get the seven games, but then you have to apply the context to each individual player, even though he only missed four total. The year that he, I'd have to go back and look, the year that he tore his ACL, you know, if it would have happened in week five, even, he would have been above that threshold. So there's, there's some context to be had about Trey Sermon. Um, he's a third round pick, right? We know that at, at the very least, he's got a chance. I think it's about a 12% chance. 12% um, of rookies, anyway, who are taken in the in the third round of NFL uh, drafts end up being an RB1 over like the last 10 years. But because of all those things surrounding him, he's he's on the border between being a risk and being a steal. But I think given his like RB60 ADP, I, I'd be willing to take him. I honestly, I honestly would be willing to take him. I don't think there's much risk there. So in, in the long term, I'd like to see him do it first. And if he can get through his rookie season relatively unscathed with a good amount of workload, then I think that maybe I'm hyperventilating a little bit about him, but I'm willing to give him a chance. And then is there any like, is there any um, like immune deficiency or anything that would correlate with, with a human's like connective tissue injuries like that? Like, again, like they're not in the same area, but they, you did mention like it's all connective tissue. Is that like, is there anything that can yeah. lead to that? 
That's the tough part, man, because it, humans aren't meant to slam into other hu large human beings with a lot of muscle aren't meant to slam into other large human beings with a lot of muscle, right? Like it's just not what, how we're built. We're not. So it's, it's difficult to say like, well, oh, does he have like a condition? Maybe he does on the spectrum of things, uh, a condition. And I'm not saying, got to get, I'm getting out of this. I'm not saying this is what Trey Sermon has. You asked for an example. So an example would be somebody with what, it, for example, like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a, a hypermobility syndrome. So you just have really, really uh, pliable tissue all around your vasculature, your skin, everything. You're just really bendy. You can bend your elbow like to a really crazy extent. That's a totally different discussion. But in theory, this is it's such a big spectrum. You can, an, an individual can fit the criteria for that, you know, part of that, that condition. And so that would be an example of like something I would think about. Um, it's something that I was concerned about or am, you know, still think about with Dalvin Cook because he's also had connective tissue injuries with the cancer that James Conner had. Did that change something in his genes, the way that his body produces uh, connective tissue so that it's more deficient, not able to hold up in the NFL, you know, an NFL grind. We don't know, but there are conditions, but we'll never know. Does Trey Sermon have this or does he not? But he's had enough injuries and enough severe injuries, like you mentioned, for us to at least raise our eyebrows to him, right? And say, prove it, show it. And if he, and if he can't, then yeah, maybe there is something underlying, but who knows if we'll ever know that. Well, like that, that was an, that was definitely an awesome response, and I'm sure it's exactly what Jim wanted to hear. And I, <laughs> I don't know, I know. If, I, if I stroked the bias enough or if what I did there, but that's what, those oh, my I, thoughts. Man, I love your your honest opinions, man. That's that's exactly what I want to. This is exactly why we brought you on and why we want to hear it, man. So I know that uh, you want to go and and eat some supper, and and me and Jim will play Golden Fools Gold after you leave. Um, we'll let you get going. Well, can, can I give a can I give a player before I leave? Absolutely. Give us, give us right, one gold and one. Give us one gold and one fool's gold. This being one gold is people. I can't remember what what I put. You what, said what gold for, for a couple of players who people are concerned about. That will be gold. Yep. Yep. People are overplaying their injuries. And okay. then no, gold people aren't concerned enough about. Yeah. So the first guy that I would say that people are too concerned is Will Fuller. Will Fuller had. Uh, he played at Notre Dame. He played like every game. He never missed a game. He came in as a rookie, soft tissue injuries. Rookies get soft tissue injuries. Had the ACL. People get ACLs, and then the next year they have soft tissue injuries. The PEDs, there's nothing in theory that would that that would make him not, that would help him to reduce the soft tissue injuries. Even if he took something on the PED list, it's just unlikely that his, his specific issues would clear up tightness, right? Tissue elasticity. There's just nothing there. And and I know this because I spoke to my wife and she's like, eh, I don't know. Like, she's a pharmacist. She's like, there's nothing there that would really like make me think, oh, that's going to help you perform in that specific way. So people are sleeping on Will Fuller. I'll take his ADP every single damn day. And then I guess, and this is sort of like my anti thing, right? I'm supposed to say like, I'm, 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 I'm not concerned about any injury. Right. I, I don't think anybody gets injured ever. I think that's what people think about me. Um, but if I had to say, you know, if I had to say one player whose injuries I'm concerned about, I'm going to give a cop out. I'm going to say I'm concerned about any wide receiver over the age of 30. Oh. With recurrent hamstring strains. Take you that for what you're Are you trying to talk about Julio Jones? <laughs> you take that for what it's worth. You take that for what it's worth. Julio Jones is a generational player. I also know that Julio Jones suffered from hamstring strains last year. 
age, previous injury of hamstrings uh, is a predictor for, you know, future hamstring strains. I'm not saying that's Did he have happen. hamstring issues as a rookie? Was it hamstring? Or? That was like 1992, wasn't it? He's so old. It was the same year AJ yeah. Green came into the league. All right. uh-huh. <laughs> so, so he's already an outlier, so it's hard to pin that on him. But that's what I'm going to say. That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. I love it. Um, we'll, we'll finish the rest of our closing out of the show after you leave. But first of all, before you go, thank you so much, Edwin, for coming on. You can find him at FB Injury Doc on uh, Twitter. And you can find him as part of the Fantasy Points group online there. Um, anything else you want to add? Anything special you're working on? Anything shameless plug? You got your last 30 seconds. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun. I like answering these questions. This is a good time for me. So thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter. And then Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. Give it a listen. Try one episode. Leave a review. Even if it's a one-star rate, leave a rating. Injury prone fantasy football podcast. I try, I need to push that more often. I don't push it enough. So, and then all my written stuff over at fantasypoints.com. But thanks again, guys. Love it. Thank you so much again. And we will hopefully have you on next year. Let's do it again. Oh man, have me on this year. We got to wait a little Yeah, year. maybe, maybe mid year, maybe mid year when people start getting injured. Yeah, we'll start trying to kick me out of here forever. Okay. No, 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 we'll get you. We'll get you on a part two. It's fine. No worries, man. I'm sure that was in a part two. We'll get you in like mid season. <laughs> I'm sure the Eagles will have bountiful amounts of injuries to talk about here. <laughs> Jeez, soon, so. like, nobody wants to talk about the Eagles. <laughs> we'll see you guys. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much, Edward. Thank you, man. All right, so let, we'll finish this up with some gold and fool's gold based on who we talked about. Let's finish it off. He gave Will Fuller his gold, and he gave fool's gold a, a bit of a cop-out, but basically Julio oh. Jones without saying Julio Jones. So, <laughs> Jim, who is your gold? Who is who is someone who people are overplaying the injury? Overplaying the injury concerns this year? I think it's my man... Tua Tonga by law. That's that's what I think, man. Um, I'm getting them pretty cheap. Uh, a lot of places I'm able to flip. You know, um, just trying to even think about it. I think I flipped um, Ryan Tannehill, and I got who apparently did worse than Lamar Miller or Lamar uh, Jackson in advanced passing metrics. But I ended up trading him for Tua and a couple draft picks. You can get them cheap. Um, Am I, I might be, you know, I might be uh, holding the bag next year, but, you know, I think I'm getting return on investment, and I think people are way too scared for a guy that wasn't supposed to really play last year. So, for me, it's Tua. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, if I look around at the injuries that we've talked about and stuff, I think I got to go with Tua as well because, I mean, I think that people overreacted. Like, I mean, that's a tough thing to come back from. This man, like, broke like fractured his hip like full on like you heard it described earlier in the episode by edwin that does not sound like something that you want to come back from and after you watch dak prescott with his you know his hip workout and then you talk about (laughs) this dude doing that to his hip like man you need a hip a lot more than you think as a quarterback and and to uh i mean obviously the we talked about the mentality thing earlier i think that mentality sets in i think that's why brian flores at the time, we were like, oh, Brian Flores is just pull, pulling him out for Fitzmagic. Maybe he's pulling him out just to protect his mental game. 
maybe he wasn't pulling him out because he wanted some Fitz magic. Maybe he just wanted to protect that mental aspect of his game and say, it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. I got you. So I, I think I have to agree with Tua. But I also think we both have a slight, ever so slight bias because we both call him the QB1 and want him to, uh, you know, surpass Joe Burrow really badly this year, which I, um, I – yeah, I do. Like, I want to see Burrow succeed too. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's just, it's just an out. Like I've said before, man. Like, Burrow's season was an outlier. So, Tua gave me more leading up into the NFL. But another thing I gotta really go with now is like NFL performance. Okay, yeah, Burrow got hurt. So now they're kind of like on a level playing field. Well, actually, I think Tua's a little bit ahead because he's ahead in his injury, right? So, um. He just gave me more consistency leading into the NFL. That's why I always had him ahead of Burrow. And, well, I think his team's a little bit better, too, now built around him. And, like, the Dolphins have shown mm-hmm. they're building around him. It's not, you know, look over your shoulder now. We got a, a, a veteran in here that's going to take your job that's been here for 17 years around the league or another flashy rookie behind you, you know, like – that I think is the worst thing for for mental aspect on a young mm-hmm. quarterback is, is having to look over your shoulder, wondering like, is that interception what just cost me my chance? You know what I mean? You got to have that. You got to have a mentality where you just kind of forget it. Throw a pick. Okay, yeah, it sucks. Whatever. Get on the sideline. Figure it out. Um, you know, figure out what what went wrong in the defensive reading the defensive coverage or or what the play calling. But then like, get out there the next drive. Fucking forget about it, man. Like that that last INT didn't happen. Like you gotta have that that mentality, and it's really, really hard to do if you're looking over your shoulder. I definitely agree with that. And like you talk about building around him, like I get it. They they drafted Jamar Chase. I get that you could consider that building around him, but you had like Tyler Boyd, you had T. Higgins, you had the opportunity to land some big game-changing offensive linemen for Joe Burrow and to protect Joe Burrow, and they opted not to. They opted to go with Jamar Chase, which at the end of the day could be a really good move, maybe post-June 1st when the extra money opens up there. Maybe they go out and they get some of these veterans that are sitting out there and they, you know, they do a little patch job along the offensive line, and then they deal with it down the road. But eventually you have to stop kicking the can down the road in, in Cincinnati, and you have to protect your quarterback. If you're going to draft Joe Burrow where you drafted Joe Burrow, you have to protect your asset. And there's some teams that have done incredible jobs of protecting those assets. And then there's people, there's teams who have given no opportunity to that quarterback, like Daniel Jones, like Joe Burrow, where they really are just kicking the can down the road too much. Um, and that's my fear with Joe Burrow. Like Tua has a decent offensive line in front of him, so we could see a shift there. But I mean, for me, yeah, Joe Burrow can get the he can throw all he wants. He can go ahead and he can get five thousand yards. He can get X amount of touchdowns. However, you want to chop it up there. But eventually, things like no offensive line in front of him are gonna catch up to him, and that that's my biggest concern with Burrow. Love it. But let's Ooh, do uh, let, let's jump into the fool's gold. And this say, is who, who do you got? Um, so this is people aren't concerned enough about. I'm sticking with Dalvin Cook, man. We did it last year as Dalvin basically as Dalvin Cook without doing this episode, and I'm sticking with Dalvin Cook. I think people too often like the fact that he still is yet to get an injury discount, he's what 
going into his age 26 season, he we are now seeing an additional game added. If anything, there may be some type of load management done by Minnesota, and you might see Madison used a bit more. So if anything, it could affect you in that way that, you know, that second quarterback or second running back starts to actually have a job in, and you have to start worrying like, when are they going to pull Dalvin cook? Are we going to be up three scores at the start of the fourth quarter? And is Dalvin cook edit the game with 15 fantasy points instead of being able to pound that rock more and more and go and, you know, get 22, 23, 24 fantasy points and make that big difference. That's my thing. I think like, you know, we we talked about Travis at ETN and like he got pulled in all the fourth quarters. He like barely saw the field in second halves. This is where I can kind of see situations like that coming about for someone who appears on an injury report or is as oft injured as Dalvin Cook. So that's my thing with Dalvin Cook, whether it's the injuries affecting them or whether there's this load management that they start to do with him, something's going to start to affect his fantasy value. I love it. Um, for me, I mean, he's pretty cheap, but uh, just he's been getting hyped up a lot, man. But it, it, it's Paris Campbell for me. Like, mm-hmm. I've been hearing Coach speak for two, three years now on him. They love him. I get it. They love him. Um, they loved him in Ohio State too. Never really did much, but they loved him. <laughs> um, like, listen, man, I got him. I got him in places. Uh, but I, I get him as throw-ins, man. Like he's not my main piece, you know what I mean? But like, like uh, places where I'll feel good getting him is if, like, say I have Michael Pittman, right? Like, I'll flip Pittman, who has a higher, say, trade value right now, and I'll take on Paris Campbell plus something because really, to me, like the the level between Pittman and Campbell really isn't that big of a tier. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be one of them pick one is up to me. It's just a coin flip. So if I can get a little bit more, I'll take on Paris Campbell, but also if I can sell Paris Campbell and the hype that he's been getting through uh coach speak, then like I'll flip him real fast for anything really. Cause mm-hmm. let's be honest. He was a waiver wire pickup. Nobody drafted him. And if you, if you draw, if you drafted him, like, you know what I mean? Last year, like, you what round 28 29 like it didn't it didn't really happen that was awesome we just have a, a random question here keep really yeah, Devonte adams round one or jt round three so my assumption <laughs> JT round three yeah my assumption <laughs> is you lose the pick maybe i've heard a lot about keeper leagues where you lose that pick if you take that player definitely yeah you JT. forfeit definitely you JT. forfeit the round you drafted him in so it sounds like you took Devonte adams around one and then you took jt in round three Hundred um, percent JT because JT's going round one this year. Yeah, Whatever it has to be has to be JT just based on the scarcity of the position too, right? Like JT is a is a workhorse back. Yeah, they brought back Marlon Mack. I think that was more to do with the fact, um, to do with the seventeen game schedule and load management. So I'm going JT. Uh, you take another swing at running back and with your first round pick. Hopefully, a couple other guys have lost their first round picks. You know, because they're keeping a couple couple first round running backs that they've taken. Maybe you get a swing at Najee Harris. Who knows? Uh, the depth of the position at wide receiver, you can get studs later on. Later on in your draft, they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna be falling. They're gonna be hitting, and then uh, you know trade too after when your roster's full and you got like you know say six guys over roster, start pulling the two and the three for ones, right? Where you're gonna package like your Paris Campbell, your OBJ, 
And uh, I don't know, maybe something, maybe even a Paris Campbell OBJ and you try to flip it for a Julio because there's a discount there, right? And like just get a two-for-one deal on that. That's a big thing I do right after drafts, right? Like I can't walk away with, I can't walk away with, uh, I can't walk away with all my draft picks. So I start consolidating them, right? Taking a couple bench players or a starter and a bench player and trying to upgrade that one starter position. And he also says Eckler round seven, no brainer. Yeah, I I would probably roll with that. I because rock then Eckler and I try to trade him though. If you well, can, if, if you're key, if it's like two keeper and you're keeping Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler, like man, that that's that feels like just a really good spot to be in, and you can focus on other things. You can lock down one of the top three tight ends. You could get Waller or Kittle or Kelsey. Then you could look at your wide receiver position. And then you could look like you can build a really good team if you're looking at a situation like that. So I definitely I I think it's a good position to be in that you that get in JT in round three. That that's pretty. That's as good money. as it gets. Money, money right for there. sure, for sure. It's like hot, like foresight was working there for sure. Um, yeah, even Ty agrees. Eckler and JT for third and seventh is stealing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so this was this was definitely this was awesome. Um, so again, follow Edwin. He was on earlier at FB Injury Doc over there. They're doing some amazing things over at the uh, Fantasy Points uh, podcast or podcast group. Um, and thank you all for the listeners and the and the uh, watchers. Anybody who's watching right now. Um, for joining us, rate, review, like, or comment wherever you listen. We're always looking to improve this show for sure. Um, and make sure to follow us, Jim at yeah. JackieBees, me at Connor10 on Twitter, and of course, the True North Fantasy Football crew. You can find us on Twitter at True North FFB, YouTube, the TNFF Network, and on the old-fashioned internet, truenorthffb.com. I know there's a site relaunch, and I know there is some wicked um, shows, uh, wicked, actually, not even shows for sure. We We mapped out next year. We have Monday to Friday booked solid, and we also have a whole lot going on for uh, content. Uh, production written production i know jim's trying to get off that wait until he sees the content pouring out from some of our new guys make jim have to do some content um oh man i just get like half articles done and then i like sit by a pool and i forget about it (laughs) (laughs) it's tough summer's tough summer's tough but Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you all next week. We have Nate Christian coming on, and we are talking redraft strategy, so see you all next Tuesday. There it is.